0: Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the Frankenstein doctors in the gender industry have announced their next big plan, which is to implant uteruses into men so that men can have babies. We'll talk about this grotesque story today. Also hundreds of thousands of pro-lifers marched on Washington as the media pretended not to notice. Canadian media profiles a man who claims to be devastated that he couldn't use a women's only gym. And the Washington Post worries about secondhand cake exposure, which is a thing now apparently. All of that and more today on the Matt Walsh Show. Well, you know how I feel about New Year's resolutions. You set out with lofty goals, you stick to them for two weeks, and then you fall right back into your old habits like a disgusting fat slob. Well, lucky for you, I have a goal that you can accomplish today. This is an easy one. You can complete your will with Epic Will. For just $119 and in as little as five minutes, Epic Will can help you create your last will and testament, your living will, and even your healthcare power of attorney. Their step-by-step online form makes it incredibly easy. All you need to do is fill in the blanks. I can Cannot stress enough how important it is to get this done, especially now when the left has declared war on your values, your religion, your way of life. You need to have a will in place to ensure that your investments and your family are taken care of in the event something happens to you. 50% of Americans don't have a will. Choose today to be in that smarter half. Go to EpicWill.com. Use promo code Walsh to save 10% on EpicWill's complete will package. That's EpicWill.com, promo code Walsh. When I was away from work this past week after the birth of the twins, uh, I did make the mistake of checking on the news once or twice. The very first thing I encountered when I briefly dipped my toe back into the news cycle was this story from Fox News. It's the kind of story seemingly designed to punish me for wanting to stay up on current events in the first place. Here's their report. A Pittsburgh Children's Hospital is under fire after its gender program navigator, advocated, whatever that title is supposed to mean, gender program navigator, advocated for helping transgender women, quote unquote trans women, get pregnant by giving reproductive organs to them from live donors. In a presentation on fertility in the LGBTQIA community last May uh, that went viral this week, the community navigator for a youth gender program at the University of Pittsburgh Children's Hospital discussed the criteria the medical community uses for gender transition in adolescence, as well as a 2018 study on uterine transplants for transgender patients. Simpson said that trans men assigned female at birth, quote unquote, would discuss the possibility of giving their reproductive organs to trans females. Simpson, who described coming out as transgender 30 years ago, said the research revealed a majority of trans women, quote, would choose to have female physiological experiences, such as menstruation and pregnancy, with the aid of a vaginal transplant and a uterine transplant. Yes, so the medical industry isn't pulling back from experimental gender reassignment surgeries. No matter their sky-high complication rates, no matter how many people have their lives ruined and are forced to live with crushing regret in their mangled bodies forever, no matter any of that. Uh, in fact, the, the industry instead is going to go the other way. They, they, uh, they're they're going to pr- plunge forward. These surgeries are already dangerous, experimental, horrific. And now they're searching for ways to make them even more so on all three counts. So here's the video of, uh, we, don't, we don't need to talk about it and describe it. You can just hear it for yourself. Here's the video of Allison Simpson explaining these, uh, for now, theoretical procedures. Listen.
1: One area that ha- had not been looked at before in any serious way was, could the donors be live donors? Because in the original study, it was, the conclusion was that they would have to be cadaver-based donors or, or um, from individuals who were no longer alive, right? So live donation has been something the community has talked about for decades. It was really seen as magical thinking. Um, for a tra- th- this would be a live donation from a, a person who was assigned female at birth but identified as a transgender man. And they said, well, you know, I have these parts, I don't want them, you want them, you need them, so what if I gave them to you? How would that work? And apparently, based on their research, this is actually viable. Anecdotally, many, but not all transgender women especially those who transitioned younger in life, have expressed an interest in having children in a way that is congruent for their own bodies. But it was still surprising to see the data. Um, It was a fairly large study as transgender studies go, 182 transgender women, 60 percent of which were aged in the the ideal 20 to 29 age range, and most had no children. 94 percent Uh, indicated they had a desire for children. Most of them reacted very favorably, something like 90 to 80% in favor of various aspects of having a uh, vaginal transplant, having a uterine transplant, and in in UTX this would all be part of the same transplant. Um, The tissue would be preserved from the uh, parts of the vagina all the way to the uterus. Um, having menstruation, experiencing gestation, and carrying a life inside them.
0: Oh, it's a life now. Wow. So it's, it's a, the, the baby is a life if the baby's purpose is to appease the depraved, fetishistic desires of mentally ill men who wish to have periods and bear children. This official uh, at a children's hospital assures us that doctors can and should and eventually will start literally harvesting parts from actual women and giving them to men, thus building a sort of Frankenstein hybrid half-man, half-woman. I mean, I wouldn't even want to watch a horror film with, with a plot line like that. I would say if, if, if that plot line existed in a horror film, I would say it's, it's like morally problematic to even watch it as fiction Because it's so disturbing and sick. And yet these people want to do it in real life. Now, let me make a a few points about this. First of all, if you're wondering why we still don't have a cure for cancer, it could be partly because this is the sort of thing the medical field is focusing its energies on now. Rather than figuring out better ways to treat and heal people who are physically sick, hundreds of millions of dollars are being invested into turning men into women and women into men. Now, you might point out that, well, the medical field can do both, right? It can make Frankenstein monsters, and it can try to cure cancer. Well, yeah, theoretically, it can work on curing and treating diseases while also devoting time to putting vaginas on men. That's true. The problem is that these two projects are fundamentally at odds. On the one hand, they're trying to make sick people better. While on the other hand, they're exploiting sick people, mentally sick people in this case, and mangling their bodies horrifically for profit. The medical field can't decide whether the sick ought to be helped and treated or exploited and butchered. So they're sort of doing both. But you can't really answer yes to both questions because this creates a disconnect, a conflict of interest that catastrophically undermines the credibility and integrity of the entire industry. Second, A woman is not just a collection of parts that can be removed and reassembled like a potato head doll. This, of course, is the very reductive materialistic view that the left in general has of the human person, but it's not correct. Along with being reductive and degrading, it's also just not correct. Every part of a woman's body, every part is female, which means that every part is ordered towards conceiving and bearing children. Um, a woman is not a man who happens to have a uterus. She's a woman through and through. Her entire body is designed to carry children. A man's body is not. I mean, for one thing, one example of many, a woman has a wider pe- pelvis and a wider pelvic cavity, which is what allows the child to pass through and be delivered. Okay? Um, so if, if, you, if, you want, if, a, if you want a man to give birth, you're going to have to give him not only a woman's vagina and uterus, but also her pelvis. Or maybe you're going to break his and separate it, and then, like, in fact, you have to take every part of her body basically and reassemble it on his. And even then, it still wouldn't work, most likely. And even if it could work, okay, it, let's say in some science fiction scenario, you could actually harvest a woman's parts, like she's an old Buick at a scrapyard, and then use them. To, you know, to, to, to give men the capacity to emulate female reproduction, you still would not have actually made the man into a woman. Okay, that is how not a woman a man is. That you could actually, if, even if you could turn him into a glorified incubator, a, a, a Frankenstein monster, a, a freak of nature, um, a hideous abomination like this, even if you did all that, he's certainly still not a woman. In the same way, if it were theoretically possible to cut an eagle's wings off and attach them to me, and if somehow I could even fly with the wings, I still wouldn't be an eagle. And I I wouldn't be closer to being an eagle. Nobody would, would look at me and say, well, you're one step closer to being an eagle. No, I'll never be an eagle. In fact, with the wings, I would be just as far from being an eagle as I was before I had them. But consider something else. In order to go down this road and engage in this kind of human experimentation, you would have to be willing to have many failed experiments and many failed attempts. Experiments, you know, often fail many times before they succeed. And in this case, a failed experiment would mean a dead baby. The, the, the medical industry must be willing to kill countless babies, must be willing to experiment with the lives of children in order to find some sort of way to satiate this psychotic desire that some men have to menstruate and bear children. You know, And I'm not surprised that the medical industry would be willing to do that. After all, they don't, they don't recognize babies as humans to begin with. But this only goes to show the ultimate supremacy that has been granted to the, to the desires of trans people. They will make blood sacrifices of children for the sake of those desires. Finally, this all represents, once again, the commodification of the female body and the male body, in fact, and in the most grotesque form we've yet seen. It's something that I find especially appalling after having just a week ago witnessed, again, the miracle of childbirth. And anyone who's ever seen childbirth or gone through it, certainly, knows that it's miraculous, it's incredible, uh, it's a great blessing in, in many ways, but it's also an enormous sacrifice. Because the woman gives her body to her unborn child. She experiences the pain of childbirth for his sake. Um, it is a, a beautiful and loving sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that keeps the human species alive. It's a sacrifice that civilization depends on for its very existence. And so it's just, it, it's all the more perverse and, and blasphemous that these men want to take the selfless sacrifice of childbirth and turn it into a selfish exercise in self-fulfillment and affirmation. The, the trans movement dirties and sullies and warps everything it touches. And now it seeks to get its dirty, filthy hands on one of the purest, most remarkable and wonderful things in life, which is its beginning, its conception, its birth. There is, in summation, nothing too sacred for these people to try to make profane. Now let's get to our headlines. In the not too distant past, private citizens used to be largely that, if you can imagine, private. What changed? Well, the internet changed. Think about everything you've ever searched for, watched, tweeted on the internet. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected, aggregated by third parties into permanent public record. Well, to keep my data private, when I go online, I use ExpressVPN. There are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business involves buying and selling your data. They don't even have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your physical location. But you can mask your IP address with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes my connection to an encrypted server that makes it more difficult for third parties to find me. Sounds complicated, but really, you just have to open the app and tap one button or uh, on whatever device you're using. It's as simple as that. If, if like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com Walsh and get three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash Walsh, expressvpn.com Walsh to learn more. From the Daily Wire, pro-life activists, students, and organizations will gather in Washington, D.C. on Friday for the annual March for Life for the first time since the Supreme Court's historic decision to strike down Roe v. Wade. The gathering comes just days before the 50th anniversary of Roe in which the Supreme Court declared a constitutional right to abortion. With Roe gone, pro-life groups and legislators now see an opportunity to expand protections for life even as deep blue states further entrench abortion in their own state laws and constitutions. Um, So the March for Life is happening today. And uh, I'm, of course, very glad that it's still happening, even after Roe was overturned. Uh, I, I knew that it would. There's no reason for it to stop. In fact, there's, it, there's all the more reason to continue now, uh, with with Roe gone. Um, it means that there's a real capacity to actually actively save babies and, uh, in in so many states, which they're already doing. I mentioned the March for Life because, first of all, the media doesn't. The corporate media doesn't. So, and and, and it should be mentioned. It is every single year. It's you know, the largest annual um, protest political demonstration in American history by far. Like nothing else even comes close. And uh, it, so it is newsworthy for that reason every single year, although it's ignored every single year. But I also bring it up because um, the, the March for Life is another example of how the pro-life movement you know, succeeds and has been successful and how it should be a model for conservatives, for conservative activists who are, you know, focused on, on other issues. You should be looking at the pro-life movement as a model rather than as some conservatives have done, trying to like blame them for things. The pro-life movement has been out there for decades. They've been in the trenches, saving babies, um, and and having real successes, meanwhile having to endure the, the finger pointing from other conservatives and constantly getting blamed by establishment Republicans, and then, and then most recently the midterm didn't go the way Republicans thought it would. And so then some Republicans start blaming pro lifers, like this is our fault. Well, if you guys weren't so opposed to murdering children, maybe we would have been more successful in the election. Rather than blaming pro-lifers, how about looking to them as an example? And one thing that pro-lifers are very good at doing and that pretty much no other conservatives are are, are good about doing is showing up in person, getting out there in person, mobilizing, um, making yourself seen. Now, you're not going to have the media helping you out. We know that for the left, if they've got if 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 ten of them, you know, if, if fifteen weirdos f- from, for the left gather together and they have bullhorns and they're shouting about something, there's going to be, you know, seventy news cameras there. There's always going to be like uh, you know it, the the ratio of news cameras to uh, protesters on the left is always quite extraordinary. So you're not going to have that. You're not going to have the, the media's help. That's fine. But the good news is that we need the corporate media less and less. We can just circumvent them. Keep in mind, the pro-life movement has been circumventing the media since before social media and the internet were even a thing. And now with that tool, uh, you especially don't need them. So they get out there and they make themselves seen. They mobilize in person. And it has an effect. It really matters. It does. It sends a message to the culture. It sends a message to... Uh, the people that you're opposing, but also very importantly, it sends a message to people that are on your side. It sends a message to those people that hey, you're not alone. Look, it's th- th- there, there, there are many of us out there. We all, we all feel this way. Let's let's uh, you know come together and achieve something. So it has a mobilizing effect for people that are on your side as well. It's one of the one of the one of the principal reasons to have a, a political rally in the first place is for that. Now, you can always be dismissive of it, and, and even now, there are conservatives are dismissive of something like the March for Life, and, and they say, well, yeah, you can march around with your sign that says, don't kill babies, but th- no one's going to look at that sign and then say, well, because of that sign, I don't believe in abortion anymore. Well, of course not. That's not how it works. But it's not intended to do that. It's intended to do exactly what I just said. Um, and it's not just at the March for Life. And pro-lifers for decades have been mobilizing. So they, you know, you've got the national annual mobilization effort, the big thing, and that's great. But then, on a very local level, you have pro-life organizations, pro-life groups, um, both big and small, in cities all across the country that are out there. You know, they they're standing in front of abortion clinics. They're praying in front of abortion clinics. They're opening pregnancy centers. I mean, they're getting mobilized and they're getting involved. And this is what uh, conservatives across the movement need to be doing, using pro-lifers as a model. All right, here's the headline from Czech News in Canada. I was extremely devastated. Transgender woman told she is not allowed to use women-only gym in Parksville. Says a transgender woman in Parksville is speaking out after she was allowed, she, quote, was allowed to sign up for a women-only gym, then later told that she would only be allowed to access the co-ed gym due the fact that she is trans. Now, there's this report here that I was going to read, but you know what? I think it actually it, it it's, uh, it's, I think more instructive to watch and listen to the report that this news outlet did about this devastated trans person. Um, this. Alleged lovely woman who just wants to go and exercise with all the other women. Watch this.
2: 28-year-old Bridget Klein-Simpson has identified as a woman for years and she wants to get into better shape. So she went to the Bodyworks Gym for Women in Parksville for a membership. Klein-Simpson says she was initially welcomed, but after one workout she was informed she was not allowed at the women's only gym
3: saying sorry we made a mistake you're not actually allowed to be here but you're more than welcome to use the co-ed facility and uh i kind of just hung up because uh i was i mean i was extreme devastated i mean there's really no other word for it
2: Klein Simpson changed her gender and name legally close to two years ago and she's been on hormone replacement therapy for more than three years. She says she wants to work out at a woman's only gym where she will feel comfortable unlike her experiences at gyms while in university.
3: I didn't quite understand why that was like uncomfortable because I didn't know I was trans at the time I still thought I was a guy as well but it was just important to me to like be in a place that would be like explicitly accepting like you know you are a woman you can you know, you're allowed to be here.
2: The gym's owner says members have a diversity of sexual identities, but he believes Klein Simpson would fit better at their co-ed gym where there are gender neutral change rooms. Do we pick uh, the comfort of the transgender person? And they may not be as comfortable at the co-ed gym, but at least that's an alternative. Or do we pick the comfort of the young girls that are working out there? They may not feel comfortable. I don't know if is that fair to them? And what would parents think? What would you think if this is your daughter there Negra says he's open to ideas and options. Klein Simpson says she understands some may be uncomfortable with trans people.
3: I mean, all it takes is education. I mean, you, you know, like once you... Okay, I just wanted to pause it.
0: Um,
3: so we see this
0: person here. What's this, what's this person's name that they are claiming? I don't know, I don't have it. Uh, okay. Nobody on the planet Earth believes that that is a woman not one person okay this is the outrageous absurdity of all of this that nobody looks at that and says that's a woman not not anyone no one okay the people at media matters who are watching this right now they're going to clip everything i'm saying Uh, none of them believe that that's a woman either nobody does and that includes this person this dude he also doesn't believe it. Now he claims that he just as of as of 2 years ago, 2 years ago I thought I was a dude. I still thought I was a dude. Well, uh, yeah, you thought that. You thought that correctly. What 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 changed your mind about that? But tell us about this experience you had Were you was it like uh, were you walking down the road, road to Damascus, you had some sort of uh, blinding light revelation. Where someone told you, oh, actually, turns out you're a woman. No, I'll tell you what the revelation was for this uh, gentleman, is that he decided that um, it makes him, uh, he gets excited by being uh, called a woman and being viewed that way, or having people pretend it anyway, and uh and he also was excited by the idea of going to a woman's gym and being around and and looking at, at women in the locker room. And so that was his big revelation. But nobody thinks that's a woman. By the way, no one also also nobody believes that he wants to go to the gym. Okay. No no one believes that either. Nobody believes any of this. This is our the, the, the suspension of disbelief. The cognitive dissonance that we're all required to display, that's what it is. We're all constantly given this incredible burden of the suspension of disbelief. being, Being told to go along with things when everyone involved, like everyone in the room, so you're being told to go along with something and to pretend that you believe something. And meanwhile, everyone around you, everyone knows that it's not true. Every single person, including the people telling you to believe it. So, but I, but I actually, you know, I appreciate stories like this. And I appreciate this guy, the service that he's providing, because this is so absurd. Okay, this is so ridiculous and laughable that uh, it becomes a, a joke and people want to just laugh at it. They want to laugh at this guy. And that's exactly what you should do, okay? The appropriate response to him and to his desire to go and work out with women and, and go to the women's locker room, the appropriate response, it's not compassion, it's not pity, it's not oh, I really feel sorry for him, he's confused. No, it is mockery. That is the appropriate response. Stop pretending to take it seriously. He doesn't. This is a game he wants you to play because it makes him feel good when you play it. And you should say not only no, but you should laugh in his face. That's the correct response. The morally correct response as well. All right, this is from the Daily Wire. Oh and by the way, one of thing. the things, so the, the gym uh, guy, the, the guy that runs the gym and he he brought up a point that you know, I have brought this point many, many times. Um, and uh, but I, I'm just I've been waiting for someone in his position to make the same point, which seems so obvious, which is that you're tr- and, and, but he says it, well, I'm trying I have to weigh, okay so, I've got the feelings of this portly gentleman, and then I've got the feelings of all the women at the gym who would be really uncomfortable with this guy standing naked around them. So I've got all of their feelings, and then I got his feelings. Someone's gotta win. Someone's feelings have to win. You know, it's a, it's a zero-sum game. Like, some, someone wins. These are mutually exclusive claims that are being made here, or demands, rather. And so are you going to say that, do do the feelings of this one guy outweigh the feelings of everybody else? And what the gym owner is saying is, uh, no, they don't. Of course they don't. And you could come to that conclusion even if you, for some reason, felt you wanted to respect this person's self-identity, which you shouldn't. All right. Here's a report from uh, Luke Rosiak over the Daily Wire. A 14-year-old transgender runaway from Virginia endured a six-month nightmare that saw her twice fall into the hands of sex traffickers. The second time after Baltimore bureaucrats refused to return her to her home state because they accused her adoptive parents of misgendering her, according to records reviewed by the Daily Wire. The child identified in legal documents as SAGE was adopted by her biological grandmother, Michelle Blair, after the death of her father. Long troubled, Sage began identifying as a male named Draco and ran away from their rural home in late August 2021, only to end up on the mean streets of Baltimore, where authorities rescued her from a convicted sex offender, according to records. But instead of returning the child to her grandmother, Maryland officials put her in an inner-city group home. The reason, they thought her adoptive blood-relative parents didn't seem to sufficiently recognize her transgender identity. So these bureaucrats decided that this a young girl, is better off in a group home in Baltimore City than with her grandmother because her grandmother would commit the sin of recognizing her as a girl rather than as a boy named Draco. Judge Robert B. Kershaw said it's not possible to return the child to that home. He said this after an impassioned plea from Baltimore assistant public defender Anissa Khan. Instead, the judge turned Sage over to the Baltimore City Department of Juvenile Services for placement in a hardware-secure therapeutic facility, which makes reasonable accommodation for respondents' expressed male gender and desire to live as a trans male. That meant housing the girl just rescued from a sex offender with some of Baltimore's most troubled troubled biological males. Oh, right, that's the other thing, too, is that they're recognizing that this girl is a boy, um, you know, because you've got a—you have a— a troubled, runaway girl whose father has died and who is uh, not only trying to escape her where she lived physically, but trying to escape her very identity. And rather than giving her the therapy and counseling and the love and support that she obviously desperately needs because she is deeply confused, understandably so, Rather than give her that, um, they're going to cooperate with the delusion, go along with it, and in fact put her in a group home with a, bunch, with, 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 a, with a bunch of actual boys, many of whom will be a threat to her physically. After months in Maryland institutions, Sage bolted only to resurface in Texas where she was once again being allegedly trafficked to pedophiles, according to records. Unlike their counterparts in Maryland, Lone Star officials returned her to her parents, according to an ethics complaint Blair filed against Khan. Khan allegedly told the girl to lie about being abused by her parents, seemingly in order to create a legal precedent allowing states other than where a teen lives to refuse to return a runaway teen if transgender issues are in play. Just an amazing, this, this story goes goes on and, and there's, there's much more detail. I can't read the entire thing because so we, we, you know, I'd be reading for another ten minutes, but I would definitely recommend you go to dailywire.com um, and go to read Luke Rosiak's report. This is this is another one of the uh, really important investigative pieces that the Daily Wire is uh, is is publishing, and it's important that you read it because this is what's this is what's happening all across the country, and there are so many cases of this. And by the way, it's it's not just runaway children who are being taken from their uh from their legal parents and legal legal custodians because you know the parent doesn't 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 cooperate with the trans identity it's not just runaways that they're doing that with I mean we're increasingly getting to a point where they will just like come into your home and take your kid if it is revealed maybe to a school counselor or whoever that you are uh, trying to raise them as their biological sex rather than their you know, preferred gender. And this is also why, this is one of the reasons why I said we should respond that way to the, the guy at the gym who wants to be recognized as a woman. And you might think that the way that I say to handle that, which is just a laugh in his face, to not even take it seriously, um, you you, know, you might say that's that's harsh, that's not fair, it's whatever. But this is why. Because it's not just adults we're talking about. These are not just disputes over locker rooms at, at gyms and all the rest of it. The kids' lives being destroyed. These are families being ripped apart. And the more seriously we take this stuff, okay, if you treat the gender ideology and the claims made, you know, the, 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 the uh, philosophy of transgenderism, if you treat it as anything other than laughably, hideously ridiculous, if you treat it as anything other than that, you are lending it credibility, and you are contributing to these kinds of cases, because this is where it leads. All right, here's something a little bit, uh, a little bit more lighthearted, something that. Another thing, I'm I'm a few days behind on this, I realize, um, but I think it's important to cover because I do give female comedians a hard time. And yet, here's an example of uh, one being funny, you know, actually being funny. This did make me laugh, but laughing at her entirely, to be clear. So here's Chelsea Handler with a startling admission. If you haven't heard this yet, listen.
4: I didn't know, and this is true, I didn't know until I was 40 years old that the sun and the moon were not the same thing.
0: I find it's I, hard to believe, but what are you talking about?
4: It <laughs> was, I was shocking to me as well. I mean...
2: Well, of course, it must have been more shocking to you. I was
4: like, I was in Africa. We were on safari. My sister and I were riding an elephant and there was a man riding an elephant for us because we don't know how to ride an elephant. Yeah. And my older sister Simone looked up at, the, at, the, at the, the sky and she said, Chelsea, Chelsea, look up. It's not often you get to see the sun and the moon at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, look, I was mind. like, Scooby-Doo. I'm like, rrr, rrr, rrr. You I said, and I go, wait, I go, but they're always together. And as soon as I said that, she turned around. She goes, what did you say? And I was like, oh, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> I'm like, like, like g- I knew g- what I said g- g- was up, wrong. Giddy was up, like, elephant. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let's canter. Is that what an elephant does? <laughs> oh, my God. And, um, I, and 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 she looked at me, she goes, I need you. And I just tried to gloss over it. I was like, never mind what I said. I know. And she said, no, I need you to tell me what you think is happening between the sun and the moon. (laughs) And I was like, honestly, I just assumed when the sun went down, it popped back up as the moon. You know? A little costume (laughs) change. (laughs) like, is that not what's happening? The man riding the elephant spoke no English and went, And he's just like another dumb American, you
0: know? No, no, no. Hey, hey, don't, don't put this on us. Another dumb American? You're the only American in the country who thinks that. So don't don't try to blame the rest of this. But Think about how and she's trying to pass it off as like this silly little anecdote and you know there there and yeah, you know there are things maybe we've all had experiences of some little minute thing that you didn't, you know, like you didn't you didn't realize and, and then you learned uh, later in life because nobody told you. I don't know. I'm sure people can come up with examples like that. But think about how stupid you have to be. I mean, it's incomprehensibly stupid to think that the sun and the moon are the same thing. My three year old daughter knows that that's not the case. She understands that they're two different entities. She may not know a lot else about them, but she knows that at least. So, the level of stupidity that I mean, how do you, how does she breathe? Like, how, I mean, how does she walk? Does she, can she tie her own shoes? These are all live questions now that we need answers to. How do you function in society? How, how is it that you've never, like, there are some things that even if you're not taught directly, you'll just, you, you, you encounter, there's realities that you encounter in life. How do you avoid that one? But this is also, I, I didn't look it up, but Chelsea Handler, I'm assuming, at least graduated high school. So this is the uh, this is the modern education system for you. That it's possible in the modern education system for someone to graduate, to go through the education system, and to come out on the other end not knowing that the moon and the sun are two different celestial entities. All right, one other quick thing, which is also very important. Um, Washington Post. Bringing cake into the office to share with colleagues is seen by many as an innocent way to celebrate a birthday share good news, or even showcase one's baking skills. But the top official at Britain's Food Regulator, speaking in his personal capacity, has suggested that it could be as harmful as secondhand smoke. Professor Susan, Jeb, Susan Jebb says, if nobody brought in cakes into the office, I would not eat cakes in the day. But because people do bring cakes in, I eat them. Oh, it, this we needed the professor. It's a professor. We, bring a, an anal- we need the analysis from the professor to tell us that. If there were no cakes, I wouldn't eat a cake. But there is a cake, so I ate the cake. There you go, students. Now give me $100,000 for your tuition. Uh, you know, there is also the other option, though. It's like, the, the, the now I admit, that's how the equation works for me, also. Um, any kind, really works that way for any kind of dessert pastry. It's like, if it's not there, I won't eat it. If it is there, I will eat it. And like, that's all. that's all the calculation I need to make. But... There is a third option which is that it could be there and not eat it. That you you could you could really do that. That's physically it is physically possible. And then uh says we all think we're rational intelligent educated people who make informed choices the whole time and we undervalue the impact of the environment. Okay, so I get what they're going for. Um, so that's so this is what they mean by so you know you, you can you can basically Secondhand cake is a danger we have to work out, look out for. And you don't ingest it the same way you ingest secondhand smoke. But it's if you're in, if it's in the environment, like if smoke is in the environment, you in, you inhale it. And they say it's dangerous to you. Well, if cake is in your environment, then because you have no willpower, she's assuming uh, you will inhale that as well. I have to say I don't like the reasoning, but I am on board though with uh, with the war on cake. And this is actually why I brought it up. I'm on board with it. For it, um, I agree. You shouldn't bring cake into the workplace. Uh, I agree that cake should not be the default celebratory dessert, because it should be pie. And I've been saying this for so long. Uh, I think it's, in, in, to my mind, it's one of the most important campaigns that I've embarked on. And I'm, I'm 100% right. And everybody knows it. That we all we all just go along with cake. Yeah. Look. Look again. If cake is there and there's nothing else and there are no other dessert options, I'll eat the cake. Because what am I going to do? Not eat the cake when it's there? I'm not crazy. But if there are other options, I'm going to the other options like most people would. Cake, there's no reason why cake should be, well, it's a birthday, you bring a cake. If there's something to celebrate, it's an anniversary, a wedding, bring a cake. There's no reason for this. There are better dessert dishes that are more widely loved and more consistently good. That's the other problem with cake is that there's a there, there's there's a with with cake quality there's a wide spectrum and there are some cakes that are just plain terrible but even cake at its very best cake at its best does not hold a candle to to a mediocre pie or a mediocre brownie or a mediocre uh homemade chocolate chip cookie and then what about it's worst like what's the worst homemade chocolate chip cookie you ever you ever had in your life you 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 can't remember an occasion because like they're always good. It's they're not ever bad. A homemade brownie, always good. Pies, you it's like most pies are just good. Even if you buy, you could pick up a pie, a pre-made pie from the grocery store, it's gonna be pretty good. Yeah, you can remember times in your life when you had cake that was plain terrible. And yet we all live under this tyranny of cake. It doesn't make any sense. Let's free ourselves of it. Should be pie celebrate celebrating a birthday bring out the pie wedding there's no reason why you can't have pie all right I'm glad we could talk about this time for the comment section JB. Amazing says when Matt celebrated his new twins, people on social media got very mad at the fact that Matt has a better life than them, yet they'll never put in the work to have a life like Matt. Well, that's true, but it's not just it's like there's there's nothing uh, uh, unattainably, you know, incredible about my life. I mean, there are things in my life that I find in- incredible and great, like my family that I love. But the point is that like these are these are normal things that people can have. Um, it's not like I've achieved some crazy, incredible thing, uh, but so this is this is anyone. Like if you if you have a, a just a, a good life, no one no one's life is perfect, but it is possible to have a good life. And what does a good life consist of? All that means is that you have that you you know you have people that you love around you, um, people that you're caring for and that you love. Uh, that you have a family, that you have that companionship as well that you're doing something in your life that you care about. like That's just what a good life is. And if that's the kind of life you, you live, then uh, as we talked about yesterday, you will be hated automatically by all the many people who are not living the good life. And um, one of the reasons why they're not living the good life is that, you know, they have no concept of what that even would be. Or they've convinced themselves that there is no such thing as a good life. There is no such thing as a life that has any sort of fulfillment or happiness. They've never felt it, and so they've convinced them, that they've told themselves, made themselves feel better about it, that, well, it must not be possible. That must not be on the menu of options, right? Uh, and then they see you come along, living your good life and your content in your life, and uh, it, it interferes with this narrative that they told themselves, and they get very angry. Shaggy says, what happened to we just want to exist and be left alone? Now it turned into you better show pride for us or we will destroy your livelihood. This is absolutely atrocious. Uh, this will only get worse before it gets better. Well, I'll tell you what happened to we just want to exist and be left alone is that it, that never existed, right? That, that was always a game. That was always uh, an illusion, okay? That, that's all that ever was. It's like, a, that, that, you know, like, as I always said, that was a sleight of hand trick, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't actually real, those claims that you heard. Now, you heard people say that. Ah, just leave us alone. But that was never the intention. That was never the agenda. Remember what we talked about. It's uh, tolerate, then celebrate, then participate. That is always it goes. Christopher says, calling hockey soccer on ice is literally the most offensive thing Matt Walsh has ever said. Well, the truth can be upsetting sometimes. I understand that, Christopher. Although the more that I think about it, I guess yeah, hockey isn't exactly soccer on ice. And uh, now I'm thinking, why doesn't that exist? I I would that's something I would watch. Okay, I'm not I'm not into soccer at all. I'm not really into hockey. Combine if you really combine the two and had soccer on ice, which is people that not with skates running on ice, trying to kick the soccer ball. That sounds like the kind of thing I'd enjoy watching. Amy says, I think the Internet actually shows a clearer picture of who a person is. You know the saying that you can tell who a person is based on how they behave when nobody is looking. The Internet allows people to hide behind a screen and act out as if nobody can see them. Now we're seeing the real you. I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, I 100% agree with you, um, which is why when people say the Internet isn't real life and the things people say to the Internet, well, it's not real life. They're not, it's, it's the opposite is the, is the truth. It's like not only is it real life, but In the way that it reflects a person's character, it's more real than oftentimes what you see in person. So yeah, the kind of person, for example, the standard internet troll who, uh, you know, you say an opinion that they don't agree with and that has nothing to do with them. And then they come to your YouTube channel or your Twitter page or Facebook or whatever, and they tell you to kill yourself because of it. Okay. That kind of person it's true that, that if you met that person in person, if you were like in the grocery store, at in the checkout line, and this person overheard a conversation you're having with somebody else, and they didn't agree with what you were saying, they would not turn around and say, why don't you kill yourself? They wouldn't do that. They would never, ever do that in person. So, but then they say it online. So the question is, what's the what's the more real version of them? Okay, what what is more reflective Of who they really are. And I would say it's clearly on the internet when they're saying the things that they won't say elsewhere because they're afraid to, because they're, you know, it would be too socially awkward, whatever, because they're afraid of getting punched in the mouth. Um, So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Finally, your mother was a hamster, says, great username. Dear Candace, the magic of the Sweet Baby Gang cannot be astroturfed. And you're once again, it's it's all agreement and uh, Kumbaya in the comment section today because you couldn't be more right either. That's that's what it comes down to. You can't. This is not something that uh, as much as Candace wants to wants to conjure th- this magic, you can't do it. That's why look, if I had decided before the Sweet Baby Gang existed that I wanted to have my own, you know, gang, and I'd gone to Twitter like she did to solicit suggestions, nobody would have said, oh, we should call ourselves the sweet baby gang. We should have a slogan with a bearded baby with a diaper. Nobody would have said that. These are the things that can only come up organically in the moment. That's how you know that they're really magical. Jeremy's Razors is offering a big discount right now, 40% off uh, all Razor subscriptions. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. One year ago, Joe Biden tried to force vaccines on just about everyone. Here's what uh, Jeremy, co-CEO of The Daily Wire, had to say about that. Here it is.
2: We won't be enforcing Joe Biden's unconstitutional and tyrannical vaccine mandate. That's it. We'll use every tool at our disposal, including legal action, to resist.
0: And yes, that's the same Jeremy from Jeremy's Razors, who you may remember from the viral commercial. Did you see any other CEOs out there publicly suing the government on your behalf? No, well, that's, that's just Jeremy. And the best part about it is we won.
2: The Biden vaccine mandate is as good as dead. We said do not comply and you did not comply. In fact, over a million of you signed our petition saying as much. And today, together, we kick the government's ass.
0: So are you gonna keep buying from those other guys or from the guy who sued the government on your behalf and won? Those are the two choices. And for all the ladies out there, you can give your man something else to smile about as well. Every time he picks up at Jeremy's Razor, he will remember just how much you care. Trust me, if he listens to this show too, he'll appreciate you even more. We'll make it even easier for you as well. All you gotta do is switch now and get 40% off on your Razor subscriptions at jeremysrazors.com. There is no cancellation today because there's something else that uh, I need to talk about. And this is something that I very much do not want to talk about, the kind of drama that I normally stay out of. And if you watch this show, you know that. But an exception has to be made in this case because when my friends and allies are dishonestly attacked and unfairly maligned, I am going to defend them. So, Steven Crowder. You've uh, probably heard about the saga by now. In fact, you've heard way more about big money conservative media contracts this week, I I imagine, than you ever wanted to or needed to. You probably wake up every morning worried about how you'll care for your family and feed your children, not so worried about whether rich and famous conservative pundits are happy in their contracts. Um, That's why I don't wanna spend much time talking about contracts, but it's important that we lend context So here's a quick summary. A few days ago, Crowder, Stephen Crowder, published a video titled Stop Big Con, where he attacked unnamed conservative media companies who he accused of being essentially con artists in bed with big tech. And the main source of his complaint against, quote, Big Con was a contract offered to him by one company, which he claimed was exploitative and revealed that this company was acting as an enforcement arm for the big tech overlords. And he said that the the contract offer was tantamount to slavery. He complained that this company wanted to deduct his pay if he missed a day of work or if he was deplatformed by any of the major social media platforms. He framed this as an unthinkably sinister ploy. He said that it was so upsetting that he's not sure that if he even even wants to continue in the business. That's how terrible it was. Now, he didn't name the company, but he gave enough information so that obviously everyone would know that it was a daily wire. And they wouldn't know it because... Uh, there was only a few companies. It could be. It wasn't the Blaze. He just left the Blaze. It wasn't Fox. You know, he already worked for Fox, and he's gone from there. Also, the Fox doesn't do ad. Re- Fox doesn't do ad reads with their hosts, so it couldn't be them. It couldn't be any of the uh, nonprofit. You know, conservative groups. So it's like it had to be us, um, and everyone knew that. And Crowder, of course, knew that everybody would know that. So uh, that put daily in position, and the next day, our CEO, Jeremy Boring, did the only thing he really could do, and certainly the thing that was the most transparent and honest, and he released a video admitting that this supposedly nefarious contract came from him and from the daily wire management team. He then went through the contract line by line, the whole thing. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is the first time ever that a CEO of a media company has walked through a talent contract Line by line for an hour, can't get more transparent than that. And so that's what he did: revealed every detail of it so that there could be no confusion. Um, he didn't. He didn't attack Crowder. He was, you know, said that he respects Crowder, respects the work that he does, and all the rest of it. But here's the contract. Here's the truth. He explained that they offered Crowder fifty million dollars for a four-year contract, but. The document that Crowder showed on the air in his initial video was not the four-year contract. It was a term sheet. It was an offer in writing, a first salvo in what was supposed to be uh, a negotiation. Crowder wanted, among other things, a lot more money. He wanted 30 million a year, not 50 million for four years. That's what he wanted. Um, and, you know, you can't be blamed for that. It, you're supposed to want more than whatever you're first offered. Part of the negotiation. And if you think you can get 120 million, you should ask for it. Okay, if I thought that I could, I could get that, I would go ask for, I want $120 million. Anybody would, but that is what he asked for. As for the penalties that Crowder complained about, um, as Jeremy explained, they, they would give him four weeks of paid vacation every year, pretty good amount. But beyond that, they didn't want to pay him for episodes he didn't actually make. And if he lost advertisers or platforms, then obviously his show would make less money, which means that he would make less money. Okay, the initial contract was, was, of course, a calculation based on the initial offer, rather, a calculation based on the revenue that Crowder was expected to bring in. And part of that calculation is looking at the platform access that he has. All of that is monetizable. Crowder monetizes it right now. We all do. And so it's worth something. And so they're making a contract offer based on that. Like, this is how, how, what all that is worth. We're going to pay you this for that. Um, if that goes away, then it doesn't have the same value anymore. Because it's not there. Now, the offer wasn't meant to be a charitable donation. If something were to happen causing him to bring in a lot less revenue, then they would want to pay him less income because he makes less. This is a very normal aspect of any business. It's how all businesses operate. It's how Crowder himself operates his own business. It's not shocking or scandalous. Though it should be noted that, according to the term sheet, even if Crowder got demonetized and banned from every platform, the Daily Wire would still pay him millions of dollars a year to make content for the Daily Wire's platform. And please note that if, if he didn't want his money to be tied to ad performance and platform reach, you know, that is that's one way to structure a contract. It's not the only way. Um, and if he didn't want that, he could have negotiated for a lower base salary, which would still be millions a year, in exchange for guarantees that he would receive it regardless of those factors. This again, in any kind of contract situation, uh, if you want, you know, if you want guaranteed, like if you want guaranteed salary is one thing. If you want incentive-based salary, that's going to be higher. But if, you don't, but if you don't want to be beholden to any incentives or anything like that, then it's going to be a lower salary because it's guaranteed. And there's a risk for the company that they're guaranteeing it no matter what you do. If you lose money, if you whatever, if you, whatever happens, we're going to guarantee this. Well, that's a risk, so it's going to be a little bit less. Could have countered with that. Um, he didn't, and instead he went public. Now, the next day, after Jeremy released his video, Crowder uh, responded with another video. After having accused The Daily Wire of being in bed with big tech based on a mangled reading of extremely normal contract language, and having essentially accused his friends, Jeremy and Ben, who he's known for a decade and who have supported him many times over the years, of being sellouts and con artists, he then played snippets of a phone call that he had with Jeremy, which he secretly recorded. In the call, Jeremy says most of what he said publicly in his first response video. Um, the big gotcha, apparently, is that Jeremy, in this casual and he thought private conversation with a friend, said that new content creators have to come on and be, quote, wage slaves for a little bit until they build up enough of a brand to be worth the kind of money the Crowder is. Pretty normal. Um, you know, you, you got to earn your way. Uh, you have to earn your way in the business. That's another way of putting it. Wage slave is a normal expression that most of us have used, it's not offensive. But which is supposed to be so so sinister, coming from Jeremy's mouth, that it justified publicly releasing a private phone conversation with a friend who trusts you, or trusted you. In the phone conversation, Crowder sticks up for the up-and-coming young creators who he says he's most concerned about. He says that he would uh, he wants to teach The Daily Wire how to run their business. He, he knows the way to do it, and The uh, Daily Wire doesn't. He wants to tell them how to do it. He says that he doesn't want to be beholden to big tech. He wants to be liberated from it. He presents this as a revelatory idea and one that The Daily Wire somehow disagrees with. Of course, he says all this in a conversation that he knew he was recording. And he knew he would release it to an audience because that's why you record it. He also insisted that The Daily Wire should adopt his business model of trying to get away from big tech dependence, which doesn't make a lot of sense because that is The Daily Wire's business model. We have built up a subscriber base of a million plus with the intent of creating our own institution. This has been a Daily Wire's business model since long before they made an offer to him. You know, the, 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 these, the, this is something that in, in the company meetings that uh, Jeremy has with all staff here, including myself, that are live streamed for the public to see, okay, this is talked about all the time, that this is our goal, to become an institution The left has all the institution, the rights doesn't doesn't have any, and so we want to be our own so we're not beholden to, uh, uh, to these big tech companies. In fact, bringing Steven Crowder on board was supposed to be in service to that ultimate goal, but it's a goal that takes time and it requires money and a lot of it. And in the meantime, we do indeed depend partly on sites like YouTube to access an audience and generate revenue. Of course we do. So does Steven Crowder. So does nearly every conservative media company and personality. Yeah, that's, that's the issue, right? That's the problem we all recognize, is that we're all dependent on these platforms. They own everything. And we want to get away from that. But that, that's, that's a strategy. It's a game plan. It takes time. You have to stick with it. You can't just snap your fingers and say, I'm independent now. And you could do that. But if you haven't taken the time and put the groundwork in place, you'll get crushed. We want to be the first to be entirely independent of all these platforms, or among the first to be entirely independent of all these, all these platforms. But again, that takes time. We nearly doubled our subscriber base last year. I mean, it is doubtful that, that, that any other subscription service in existence grew at that rate. So we're going as fast as we can. I mean, we're going faster than almost anybody, and yet it still takes time. Okay, so here's what I want to say about all this. That, that was all 10 minutes of context, but I felt like it's been, you know, you needed to hear it. As for Crowder, I don't know him. I've never met him. Um, I never had an issue with him before. I think he's a great talent. I think he's an effective communicator. I also think, I know, that he is intentionally misrepresenting the Daily Wire and its business model. And I even more think and know that calling a friend and an ally and secretly recording it and using it against him in, 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 in public is the lowest thing I've ever seen anyone do in this business. And I've seen people do some very low things. Keep in mind that the recorded call came weeks after, weeks after the contract negotiations ended amicably between Crowder and DW. It was over. They had both gone separate ways. Okay, He wanted money they couldn't pay. He wanted it, it, so they just went separate ways. It happens. It happens in business. Everyone had moved on, we thought. And then Stephen Crowder called Jeremy weeks and weeks after and said, I got to talk to you. And Jeremy called him. And they started talking about their family and their kids. And Crowder was recording it the whole time. He already had bought the Stop Big Con domain name. He already had this plan in place. So he called him specifically to get him to say the things that he could use against him. Trying to lay the trap that he could use in public. And as I said, it was before this, actually, that that he registered the Stop Big Con website, clearly showing what the plan was. So Jeremy got set up by a man that he has known and helped promote constantly over the years. That's what happened. But let's get to my actual point. There are many accusations flying around about Jeremy Boring, about Ben Shapiro, about the company they founded together. All the accusations center around the claim that they are exploiting their talent. They are suppressing and stifling us. And they're only interested in the bottom line rather than fighting for the culture. These accusations are being made by some people who absolutely know better. In many cases, by people who Jeremy and Ben have befriended and promoted and helped, only to now be stabbed in the back by them in public. But the accusations are also being amplified by people who don't know better, people in the audience who are caught in the middle trying to make heads or tails of it. And it's for the benefit of that latter group that I now want to say a few things about my own experiences at The Daily Wire, um, because because I was myself a young, up-and-coming content creator when I joined the company five years ago. So I'm that guy that Steven Crowder is pretending to be concerned about. That's me. Here I am. Hello. Um, Today, I have one of the top news commentary podcasts in the country. I didn't start that way. So I think my perspective is relevant to this conversation. Though I realize that I'm in a lose-lose situation, because if I ignore all of this and I say nothing in defense of Jeremy and the company, my silence will be taken as an admission that the attacks are true. But if I speak up, then the critics will simply assume that I'm only saying this because I was forced to. There is nothing I can say or do. That's the game here, right? This is the game we find ourselves in in this business sometimes. The game is there is nothing I can say or do that won't confirm whatever the critics already thought. So be it. If I have to take the lumps here, either way, I might as well do the right thing and speak up for the men that I respect and a company that I'm grateful to work for. To To that end, I will say that The Daily Wire brought me into the fold back when I was a relatively unproven former blogger, with no platform aside from my Facebook page. Uh, that's all that I, that I had at the time. And they gave me an opportunity. They didn't give me success, nobody can give you that. I'd have to work for that. And it would be a collaborative effort involving an entire team. But they would give me the opportunity to reach success. Far from being um, exploited, you know, far from exploiting me or trying to suppress my ideas, they instead kept me around. They kept paying me, they invested more and more in me they gave me free reign to talk about anything I wanted to talk about, while my platform profile grew very slowly at first. My podcast turned basically no profit and had a very small audience for multiple years. And they gave me all that time to prove myself because they believed in me and saw the potential that at times, if I'm being honest, even I struggled to see in myself. Two years ago, the show finally started to gain traction. And that's uh, thanks not just, of course, to my own contributions, but to the work of the team DW put around me, especially my producer, Sean. And a year ago, we started to grow even faster after the Dr. Phil interview, an interview which, by the way, was offered originally to Ben Shapiro. Um, it, was a great, it was a great interview offer, okay? That, that Dr. Phil appearance was a perfect environment for someone like us to be put on that panel talking about that issue, and it would have been great for Ben. Ben passed it to me because he wanted me to have the opportunity. Then what does a woman hit? And we reached a whole new level. Every step of the way, I've been supported by Jeremy, Ben, the whole team here at The Daily Wire. I've had complete and total freedom to discuss whatever issues I want to discuss for as long as I want to talk about them, in whatever way I want to talk about them, and to be myself for better or worse. Um, And anyone who listens to this show or follows me on Twitter knows that. Okay, I, I will die on every hill. I will talk about anything. I will say anything. Um, again, for better or worse. I wouldn't be where I am without this team, without Jeremy, without The Daily Wire. That's the honest truth. And you should know that. More importantly, and this is the most important thing, together here at The Daily Wire, we are, we are fighting for the country, for the, for the culture. We're achieving real success. In just the past 12 months, The Daily Wire, and this is a, this is a partial list helped to defeat Biden's Vax mandate, released one of the most culturally influential documentaries of the century, uh, took down Vanderbilt's Child Gender Clinic. We took it down, we did that. We we held the largest anti-gender ideology rally in the country, resulting in a ban on child mutilation across the entire state. We invested tens of millions of dollars into children's content to compete with woke companies like Disney. We launched a product line to compete directly with an advertiser who tried to cancel us, If you go back another year, year and a half, you'll find us exposing a major cover-up in Loudoun County, mobilizing a movement that helped flip the entire state red. That's what we're doing. We have had more tangible achievements in the past two years than any other conservative media company or personality, and it's not close. And I defy you to give me an example uh, that would refute what I just said. This is not bragging. That's just a factual statement. That's what we've been doing. Nobody else is doing it. We're not just talking. There are a lot of people in this business who, who like to say that they're fighting. Everyone uses it. I know it's sometimes it, 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 it's like a, just white noise when you hear people like us say, oh, we got to fight, we got to fight, we got to fight. It's white noise after a while because you've noticed that most of the people saying they're fighting, they're not actually doing anything. They're just talking into a camera. They're not doing anything else. They're not out there doing anything. But we are. We're racking up real wins. And we're doing it with your investment and your support. And we need a lot more of it. we have been very open about that. Very open about what the plan is. This is still ground floor level that we're at. We know that. And I'd like to get back to that now. I'd like to get back to the battles that actually matter, battles that I will fight alongside anyone who has the same goals as me. I don't care who they are. That includes Steven Crowder or anyone else. So my proposal, my term sheet proposal, is that we put this all aside now and we get back to trying to save the country, which is what matters to me. And that'll do it for this portion of the show as we move over to the members block. Hope to see you there. If not. Talk to you tomorrow, or rather on Monday. Godspeed.